everybody. Welcome to the Ryan Polly Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading the show and joining me today. We're going to have a conversation on evidence, theology, logic. How do we use proper theology and logic to respond to common objections against Christianity? But before that, I want to ask you two things. Maybe present two ideas to you. First of all, I just want to thank you again for listening, for downloading this show and joining me. I'd love to hear how you've heard about it, if you want to send me a message about that. But um, the first thing that I would love is that I want to make this show something that uh, covers topics that you are interested in, uh, rather than me continuing to do topics that you might find interesting or you might not, uh, to hear certain objections or questions or issues or even books or speakers uh, that you want to hear more from and you want to learn more about. And so I would want to encourage you, uh, if you want to follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram is at RyanPolly3, or you can search on Facebook, just my name, Ryan Polly, or send an email at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. Uh, I would love to hear what sort of ideas, what sort of topics or issues you would like to see covered. That way, in the coming weeks and months, I can cover issues that are more relevant or more interesting to you. So that is my first request. If you want to kind of participate and help me choose topics here this fall, I'd love to hear from you and know what you are interested in learning. The second thing that I would love to request of you, my podcast listeners, is if you have been listening to this show for some time, or maybe you just found it, and it has encouraged you, you have received something of value from it, I would love if you would head over to your podcast listening app, whether that's iTunes or whatever else you listen on. It's also available on Amazon Music and Spotify. And if you would leave a rating, that way uh, other people can see it. The rating takes just a short amount of time just to give it a rating and uh, kind of boost it up on the chart, so to speak, so other people can see it in their searches a little bit better. If you want to take a little bit more time and leave a review, uh, kind of telling other people and myself what you think about the show, um, I would love to see that as well. So those are the two things that I just wanted to kind of get out of the way before we jump into the show today. Uh, If you want to just send me the topics and then also if you could send in a review, that would just be so appreciative. I would enjoy that. I would like that. And it would help me continue to make content that reaches people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with clear thinking Christianity, as well as content that is relevant to the things that you are going through and the questions that you have and the objections that you are facing. So hopefully this helps, and I'd love to hear from you guys again. Uh, Ryan Polly 3 on social media, Ryan Polly on YouTube, or contact at coffeehousequestions.com is the email there. So with that, I hope you guys enjoy the show today, talking about objections against Christianity. Well, there are, um, I would say, a lot of good arguments against God. I think there are some good arguments that we have to deal with, that we have to think deeply about to figure out. But there's also some really bad arguments, things that probably should not require as much thought as we sometimes have to put into them. And so in today's conversation, I want to maybe think through some of these. I I don't have a, a long list of arguments. This is more so just kind of how to go about thinking about different kinds of arguments, and hopefully to better prepare you or help encourage you to prepare for these different objections that you are going to face. So that is what we are going to talk about today. My name is Ryan Polly. This is a weekly show. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, it's good to have you here. Glad you found it. I'd love to hear how you found it. And um, so anyways, a uh, weekly show focused on the Christian worldview, helping you Uh, know what Christians believe, better defend it, and then faithfully live it out. And so that's what I try to do in a lot of different videos, short videos, and longer interviews. Hopefully you enjoy what you have 
might be found. And hopefully you enjoy today's conversation as well. You know, so I, I wanted to have this conversation. And just kind of take some time and think through this with you all. And and again, if you have objections that you've heard that you want to kind of think through uh, today, then please, um, you know, send those in. You can post those in the live chat. Uh, but I, I want to take some time and just kind of think through this topic with you because I've got a lot of comments, both from skeptics and Christians, messages and comments uh, that seem to kind of be along this same type of argumentation or the same kind of reasoning. And it really is kind of a, as I posted, and I, and I think is a, a bad understanding of Christianity. It's not what Christians believe. And to some of it, we can be able to say, yeah, guess what? I don't believe in that God either, right? The God that you have described is evil. The God you have described is wicked. I don't believe in that God either. And that's why, you know, I titled this video that having better logic but most importantly, better theology can often help us respond to objections because we can clearly recognize this objection either misrepresents Christianity or it is simply just a fault in logic. And so there's a lot of kind of questions that do this or that's a misunderstanding. And this is also what I maybe want to hopefully convey is that I think a lot of these things are possibly misunderstandings. There's a lot of times Christians misunderstand what Christianity teaches. We have false ideas about God or scripture or how scripture has been handed down. And I think a lot of times other Christians or, or non-Christians have these false ideas too. And so again, like I want to personally give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to assume that they just have a mistaken understanding that they just maybe have heard stuff online and they're repeating things that maybe they have heard. And um, and maybe by offering a correct view of who God is or who the Trinity is or how scripture has been passed along, that this can help them understand uh, how that objection really doesn't defeat Christianity in the way that they think it does. You know, and I mentioned this, I think, last week in the in the Q&A that I did at the end of the month is that, you know, I, I get messages from students often saying, hey, a friend said this, what should I say in response? And, and sometimes, and I think the big thing here and the first thing that I want to kind of mention is that a claim is not evidence. If someone makes a claim, they need to support that claim. And this is what came up in a recent conversation is a student was asking me, who bears the burden of proof, right? When we're having this conversation, the atheist keeps telling me I bear the burden of proof. And that's true if you are the one who made the claim. You see, if someone makes a claim, they bear the burden to support or prove their claim. So if a Christian comes out and says, um, I believe that God exists, you now have a responsibility. If they say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Why do you believe that God exists? You bear the burden to show or explain why you have come to that conclusion. In the same way, if an atheist says there's no evidence for God or God does not exist or the Bible is blank, they bear the burden to support that claim. And so as we talked about before, when it's like, hey, there's no evidence for the Israelites being in Egypt, or Jesus is simply a dying and rising God, right? This is what came up, I think, last week in a few other videos, is there's no evidence for this. Um, then you need to say, okay, so, or, or Jesus is a dying and rising God. Um, then you say, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? Can you show me the evidence that supports this? And with this, we often find also that a lot of times just another claim is made. Again, when someone just simply makes another claim, 
that is not necessarily evidence. Hope, thank you so much for being here. I'm glad that you enjoy this content. Hopefully it's helpful to the things that you're going through. And so uh, you, again, as I mentioned before, and as the cont conversation continued on my channel, when it comes to Jesus being um, Osiris or another version of these ancient stories, and it's just kind of all made up. And um, a video was sent to me by an Egyptologist that was making claims. This is what we know. I want to know what is the evidence that led this Egyptologist to believe this claim or to make this claim. Simply by her saying, this is what took place, that's a claim. And in the same way, if I send a video to a skeptic of a Christian scholar saying Jesus rose from the dead, they're not just going to accept the fact that a scholar said that, they're going to say, what's the evidence? And so with both the atheist, the Christian, the skeptic, whoever it is that you're talking to, whoever it is that is making a positive claim for something, they bear the burden of proof to defend and support that claim. And so this is one of the advantages to asking good questions. The tactical approach is taught by Greg Kokel. When you ask good questions, you kind of keep the pressure off of yourself in a sense because you're trying to learn, you're trying to gather information, but also you're not making any claims that you have to defend. And this is often when Christians make mistakes where someone says, God doesn't exist. And the Christian might respond, well, yes, he does. Now, you've made a positive claim God does exist, to which then sometimes the skeptic comes back and says, prove to me that God exists. Now, you are left with a huge burden trying to prove the existence of God to this person. Rather than saying, if someone says God doesn't exist, they made a claim, they now bear the burden to defend that claim. They have the burden of proof. And so you ask, well, how did you come to that conclusion? What are the reasons that you have for saying that God does not exist? We are often very quick to respond by making our own positive claim and then the burden gets put on us and then we feel this weight to defend it. And so this is one of the advantages of asking really good questions is that you, by asking a question, you're not making any positive claims, therefore you don't bear the burden. So if a skeptic says God doesn't exist and I say, well, how did you come to that conclusion? And they say, well, prove to me he does. Now, I want to maybe eventually get to that conversation, but I would say, well, hold on a second. I never said he does exist, so I don't have to prove to you he does. You said he doesn't. I'm curious to hear your reasons. Now, again, this is sometimes, we're not trying to just argue. We're not just trying to win. I had someone comment that recently on my YouTube channel as well, is they said, well, you're not going to win. And my claim was, I'm not trying to win. That was my response. I'm not trying to win. You're making claims. I'm asking you for evidence. I honestly want to hear your position because I wanna know what is true and I wanna follow what is true. And also when I hear the evidence that skeptics give for their objections against Christianity, that better prepares me to know what I need to be able to respond to if I'm going to continue to believe and make the claims that I'm making, right? So if I am gonna claim, and I do, that Jesus rose from the dead, I need to have evidence to support that. But I also want to know the reasons and the evidence and the claims that people are making against the resurrection of Jesus so that I can better respond and be prepared when those other claims come up, when those objections are made. And so again, by asking good questions, it helps. I'm not just trying to win. I'm not just trying to prove someone wrong. I'm trying to ask good questions, trying to understand and hear their perspective because I want to know. I'm genuinely curious to hear why people believe what they believe. And so I think it's really important as people make these claims. And so I recently, again, I had this claim that came up on my channel. And this happens a lot where someone misrepresents God, says, well, 
if God is blank, 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 then he is evil, right? Or one that came in recently, if God is all powerful and all good, and he made everyone in his image, then he made gay people, he made transgender people, he made straight people, he made Hitler, he made cancer, he made it all, right? He made all the evil things, he made all the, you know, and, and we have this understanding. Now, that sometimes can be hard to think about. We go, hold on, how do I understand that? Right? And this is actually an argument that I present when I give my lecture on, um, on the problem of evil. Does God, why does God allow evil? And I say, God created all things. Do you agree with that, students? And they'll say, yes. I'll say, evil is a thing. Therefore, God created evil. What do you, what do, you do with this? Now, the issue there is with the second premise. Evil is a thing. Evil is not a thing. Evil is the absence of good. Evil is the absence of good. God created all things good. When corruption came into his good creation, that is where we get evil. Evil is that privation or that absence of good. And so by saying God is all powerful and God is all good and he made humans in his image, it does not necessarily mean he made me to be a murderer. <laughs> he made me, I am good, but I have a broken, fallen nature where I have desires that are not good. I do actions that are sinful. This is part of that Christian idea. And so again, when we hear this idea, and so, so it's like, well, here's who God is. And a God, and this person kind of continued on, said a God that cares more about these things rather than a God who cares about this is an evil God. And I was able to respond and say, I agree. That God is a pretty bad dude, but I don't believe in that God either. That's not the God I believe in. And so here is my kind of an encouragement that I want to give you as we go through this. It is so important as an apologist, as someone desiring to have these sort of conversations with non-believers to know your Bible. It is vital. It is necessary to know scripture, right? It's, it's a common illustration that's often given, but you, you want to first study the real thing and that helps you better identify the fake thing, right? The claim is often made that in the U.S. Treasury Department, when people are learning how to spit, or spot counterfeit money, they spend so much time studying the real money, understanding and knowing the real money that when a counterfeit bill comes along, they can easily go, oh, that's counterfeit. Because it's also hard to deeply study and know every single different counterfeit bill because the next day someone else is just gonna create a new counterfeit and you're the one that you haven't studied. And so how you prepare against this is you, you spend time studying the real thing. This is why when it comes to the Maven immersive experiences that I lead, we spend a lot of time at the beginning teaching what Christianity believes. We go over a Christian doctrine of God. We teach the Trinity. We teach the gospel. We teach how you are saved. We want students to have a deep or deeper knowledge of Christian theology. What do we believe about these different issues? So that when false ideas get presented, and they will, we're going to be facing these different false ideas. It is easier to spot that and go, hold on a second. That's not what I believe, right? This is, again, we're talking about using logic. This is a, one of the logical fallacies. It's called a straw man, right? Where you create or erect a, a false view, a straw man of someone's position. It's not really what they believe. And then you knock it down. So here's what Christianity is. And they misrepresent Christianity. That is completely ridiculous. And they blow it over. Now you just simply say, well, that's not what I believe. But here's the thing is that you only know that's not what Christianity is 
if you understand Christianity. We can only spot false ideas when it comes to the Trinity or misrepresentations of the Trinity when we understand the Trinity, right? So for example, I, uh, I've heard where someone goes, okay, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So you have three gods. How do you understand this? Or the Trinity is one God and three gods. Or the Trinity is one person and three persons. How do you have one person and three persons? This makes no sense. Well, if you've taken some time to understand the Trinity, that's not how Christians would define the Trinity. The Trinity is not one God and three gods or one person and three persons or even one being in three beings. You can't have one being in three beings. The Trinity is one being, three persons, three persons in one being. And it's very important that we understand these words. A person is different than a being. Now, we're not going to go deep into the Trinity here, just using this as a quick example, but a being is what you are. What are you? I'm a human being. God is a divine being. Who you are is the person. I'm Ryan. That's the who. There's three persons in one being. These are two different things. What you are versus who you are. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all part of one being who is God. Now, when we have a deeper understanding of this, and again, maybe I open up a can of worms there bringing up the Trinity, but when we have a deeper understanding of this, then we can quickly spot when someone says, oh, but the tr- you believe in the Trinity and you believe that there's three persons in one, be- in one person. I can say, no, I don't. That's not my view. Rather than saying, ah, what am I supposed to say? How do I defend against this? I want to say, look, this is a false understanding of what I believe. And so what we have to understand here, and I think some important things as we begin to kind of look at logic is just because I believe something does not make it true, right? There's a lot of people that believe a lot of things just because you believe something doesn't make it true. And, and this is easy to kind of help someone see is that you just believe something that they clearly think is false, right? And you can do this easily with math. Like, well, if I believe two plus two is seven, does that make it seven? Well, clearly not. Okay. Exactly. So we have to make sure we understand, you know, these false ideas that sometimes are floating around is that if I believe something, then it is true. Or sometimes we just add more people to it. If we believe it, then it's true. Something is true if we believe it. Now, this comes up all the time. This is, a, again, a logical misunderstanding. This is not how logic this is works, and this is not how truth works. You hear this all the time that, well, many people believed that slavery was good, or many, many people believed X. And this is often in when it comes to morality. Well, you know, we all believe that murder is wrong. Does that make murder wrong? What happened? And if, what if we all believed that murder was good? Would that make it good? Now, slavery is wrong because we just believe it's wrong. But back in the 1800s and other times in human history, when we believed, when entire cultures believed that slavery was good, it was a good thing. Or when we believe that the earth was the center of our solar system, that the sun went around the earth, did that make it true? Of course not. So just because more people believe something, just because there is more consensus for something does not make that thing true. Now, sometimes if there's more consensus, that's for a good reason, but we need to figure out what those reasons are. What reasons have been used to come to that consensus versus the consensus is what makes it true. Now, some people say something is true if I want to believe it. Now, clearly, again, this is false. Just because I want to be a millionaire doesn't mean that I am a millionaire. Just because I want to own a Ferrari or a nicer bicycle uh, doesn't mean that that is true either. Just because I want something to be true doesn't make it true. 
if, and you sometimes hear this, well, you just want God to exist. No, I don't just want him to. I honestly believe he did. But if I want him to exist or didn't want him to exist, that doesn't change anything. Lastly, it's something is really important is, is just because something serves your interest doesn't make it true. It's not true just because it serves some sort of interest to believe it. Something is true independent of us. Something is true independent of us. And we want to be able to come back and see what are your reasons for believing this. Does your claim about Christianity, does your claim about God, does your claim about scripture actually line up with scripture? To that, we need a better theological understanding of who God is. Or does your claim actually not match reason, not match logic? And we can spot some sort of fallacy in your argumentation. So, for example, what if we took uh, the claim, well, you believe the Bible. And the Bible has been translated over and over again. How would you respond to this? You believe in the Bible and the Bible has been translated over and over again. Now, something to think about. Here's some questions for you to consider when it comes to kind of beginning to think critically, uh, using critical thinking and using um, logic to kind of reason to certain conclusions. Uh, the first thing is, is the premises true? When you're thinking about an argument or a claim, is it even true? Is it true that the Bible has been translated over and over again? Well, in one sense, yes. In another sense, I don't think that that's what they often mean by this. So the question that we should be asking here is, well, what do you mean translated over and over again? Now, the claim that's often made is that it went from like Greek into Latin, into German, into, you know, and it's gone from language to language to language. And therefore, then we finally get the English. Now, this is simply just false. The modern translations that we have are translated from the original Greek and Hebrew languages. We didn't just translate from German into English or from a different language into English. The scholars translating versions like the New International Version, the English Standard Version, the NASB, NIV, those sort of different translations, they're going back to the original Greek and Hebrew manuscripts to understand what it is. Now, it has been translated over and over in the sense that we've translated the Greek and Hebrew into the message translation, we've translated into the New International Version, we've translated into the English Standard Version, we've translated into the NASB and all these in the King James Version. Uh, so it has been translated multiple times. And so it's important to understand like, okay, what are you, what are you getting at with this objection? What do you mean by this objection? Now, again, when we also want to, a question that we want to ask when thinking logically about what we're talking about here is this. Does the reasoning correctly lead to the conclusion? Does the reasoning correctly lead to the conclusion? So what conclusion is someone trying to get to when they make a claim that the book has been translated over and over again? Now, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you can comment in the chat and welcome. Thanks everyone for being here. Um, you often, I would think that the conclusion they want you to come to is that it's not reliable. That there's this book and it's probably filled with errors because it's been translated over and over again. Now think about that. Does that follow logically? That just because something has been translated multiple times, it is therefore not trustworthy? I don't think so. I think even if, now I, this is not what happened, but even if we went from Greek into Latin, into German, into French, into Russian, into Spanish, and then into English, that doesn't necessarily mean that what we are reading in English is 
corrupted doesn't necessarily mean that it's false. It is possible that we have an accurate translation from each language into the next, into the next, and that what we are reading does accurately match the original. Now, it's possible that you've lost some things in the nuance of language or something like that, but you probably have the same major idea. So even if we ask this question, does the reasoning, does, does, does their objection actually lead to the conclusion they want you to come to? Oftentimes they can say, even if this were true, that doesn't mean that this follows. That this is a non sequitur. Your conclusion doesn't follow from either your premises or from your argument. And this is what happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, talking about the Egyptians, where it says there's no evidence that the Hebrews were in Egypt. Okay, so even if that's true, does that mean that they weren't? The answer is no. The absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Now, in the person that I kind of walk through that with, they use that in the argument and their friend came back and said something to the effect of that's not you know, a valuable thing to say in this conversation or that's not helpful. Well, of course it is helpful because just because you don't have evidence for something does not mean the opposite is true, right? So if you have a murder trial and let's say that Bob killed Sally, he actually did it. But he cleaned up all the evidence. He cleaned up the crime scene to where he left no evidence behind. You'd not say that because there's no evidence that Bob killed Sally, therefore he didn't kill her. You can't come to the opposite conclusion. If you're going to say he, Bob did not kill Sally, you need evidence showing that he is innocent. Just because there's no evidence that he did do it does not mean that he didn't do it. It's possible that he just got rid of all the evidence. And so sometimes I think it's very helpful in these sort of conversations uh, to either recognize, look, what you're saying just isn't true. The view of God that you just presented, I don't believe in that God either. Yeah, that is not my theological understanding. Now, there's more difficult conversations as well. I'm having one uh, that came in on, my, on my, one of my videos talking about um, God and how it's impossible for God to be timeless. And what's often brought up with this idea is like, God, how can God be timeless before creation? How can there be a before creation? Because if time started at the beginning, you can't have a before the beginning because before is a temporal word. And that's where if you look at philosophers like William Lane Craig, uh, you'll often see the word God is timeless sans creation or without creation, God was timeless. Not before, because before is temporal. Um, and there's no before time. Um, and then he became maybe temporal after creation. And so we kind of use this word. Now, then there's different theories of time. And I've had people object to my view of God saying, look, this way that God interacts with time is ridiculous. And my response is, yeah, exactly. That's why I don't hold to that theory of time. I personally hold to this theory. Now, again, those are some complex, deeper issues that have to be worked through and, and do take a lot of time. But again, this is where proper theology, understanding a doctrine of God, Understanding a doctrine of Jesus, doctrine of the Trinity, understanding these core Christian doctrines are crucial when we are trying to defend the Christian faith and be able to respond to the objections that are coming up against the Christian faith. Because I don't think necessarily it's always malicious, but often non-Christians and sometimes Christians have a misunderstanding of scripture and therefore they object to something that is not something that I even hold to. And so I can say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. I don't hold to that theory of time or I don't hold to, yeah, I don't think the Trinity works like that either. I think that would be a, a craziness. If the Trinity really was three persons in one person, then that is logically impossible. I agree with you, but that's not my view that you're attacking. That is a straw man. 
That is a misrepresentation of my view. It's not actually attacking what I truly hold to. Now, third question to consider. So we have, you know, is what they're saying actually even true? Is it accurate? Second one, does their reasoning correctly lead to that conclusion? A third question to ask here is, are the reasons relevant to the conclusion? Again, is it even relevant? Is it like God is all powerful, God is all good, therefore, and then their conclusion is something completely off, something completely different that God's power and goodness doesn't relate to. Like, therefore, there should be no evil. Well, how does that relate? Because there's a very good reason that God could be all powerful and all good, but he's given us free will. And that is why there is evil in the world. Now, another question that you can even be asking yourself. Again, these are questions that you should be asking as the Christian. If you're trying to become better as a Christian, engaging in conversations or as an apologist, you should be asking yourself, is what I'm saying true? Does my reasoning correctly lead to the conclusion I hold to? Because even as Christians, I think sometimes we, we, we grab onto something and we say, therefore this. And it's like, but that's not what that says, right? We do this often with verses taken out of context where it's like the Bible says X and therefore this. It's like, but that's not what the Bible says. This is a different context. This is talking about something very different. Now, the question again, we should be asking ourselves is, have I committed any logical fallacies? Have I used a mistake in logic? Now, this is a little bit of a deeper question because in order to ask this question and be able to answer this question, you need to know what some of the logical fallacies are. And you have to know what it looks like to create a or commit a logical fallacy. And then uh, finally, is my argument complete and fair? Is it fair or am I misrepresenting something? Right? These are questions that we should be asking ourselves and we can be asking of other people. And so when we're trying to try to look and think about our own arguments, our own logic, our own case for God and for Christianity, is it evidentially based? Does it make sense? Is it logically possible? These are questions that we should be asking ourselves. And so on the flip side, when we're looking at bad arguments, we're asking, are the premises false or are they true? Um, you know, maybe in a bad argument, the reasons that are given don't sufficiently lead to that conclusion, right? You know, the Dodgers wear blue, the Dodgers are in California, therefore they're the best team. Well, that doesn't follow. Just because they wear blue and they're in California doesn't mean they're the best team. There's other criteria that can show someone if they're the best team or not. Do they have the most wins? Are they have the most championships? You know, those are sort of the questions that we ask to figure out if someone is the best team, not what color of jersey they wear. The color of a jersey is irrelevant to the quality of your sports team. Now, we all get that. I mean, I think that examples like that kind of show the point and help us go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, the question is, can you know, we kind of think through that and realize that when it comes to different views of Christianity? Um, and then, um, yeah, is what the person saying, is it fair? Does it make sense? And so when it says, okay, these books have been translated over and over again. Okay, well, what do we mean by this? So what? what? What follows from this? The answer is no, they haven't been translated over and over again. What we have is what was originally written. We've gone back to the original manuscripts, or at least the, the early manuscripts, and we've done the work of textual criticism of comparing and contrasting all these different handwritten copies of the New and Old Testament to try to figure out what is this saying. Now, what is often meant by this objection, the Bible has been translated over and over again, is that I think they mean it's been copied over and over again. 
that there are many manuscripts. The, it, as it's gone through transmission, not necessarily translation into a new language. And again, that's true. But the advantage is that it has been copied so many times, we can compare and contrast these different copies and we can get back to the original message. Right, again, it's like if you are sending a text to a friend and I have the problem of often um, texting and not reading over my text before I send it to where my texts often have a lot of mistakes or a lot of errors in them. But imagine if I sent a text that said, you know, meet me at um, the house at seven. And then I went, oh, oops, it wasn't supposed to be seven, supposed to be five. And I said, meet me at the park at five. And I go, oh, why, why did it say park? Okay, meet me at the ark at five. It's like, oh, not ark. Uh, meet me at the house at five. It's like, oh, not house. You know, and you keep kind of changing it. Um, you eventually, even though each one of those texts has an error in it, you can get back to saying, okay, even though each text, something different happens. Um, and then I say, meet you at the house at five. And then it's like, well, no, not you. I'm going to meet you. And you get the point. You can kind of keep sending and keep correcting something different and then messing up something different. But the more copies that you have, the more of those texts that you have where this one little thing has changed here and there, it's easier to go, okay, I get what you're saying. It's pretty clear. And so when we look at the manuscripts of the New Testament, there are a lot of these kind of errors. There's, there's spelling mistakes. There's word order changes where they say Jesus Christ instead of Christ Jesus. The vast majority of the mistakes in the, excuse me, in the documents in the New Testament are these irrelevant, are these kind of non-important, non-critical, non-vital mistakes. So a name is spelled wrong or name order is switched or there's you know something like that. It doesn't change any core doctrine. In fact, none of the mistakes of the New Testament affect any core doctrines. Doctrine of God, the Trinity, death and resurrection of Jesus, those sort of issues. There are some that are big mistakes that are vital, like the long ending of Mark, like uh, the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 7. Those are bigger mistakes, added big whole stories that are added. But again, even if we take those out and say, okay, maybe those aren't in the original manuscripts or the earlier manuscripts, we don't lose anything core to Christianity. So again, I think it's important to recognize when you understand how the Bible has been passed along, uh, that these changes haven't been made, right? I've had a lot of conversations because of my trip recently to Utah, uh, my immersive experience to Utah working with Mormons. I had a lot of conversations where people are asking about ideas with Mormonism. And one of the core fundamental teachings of Mormonism is that the Book of Mormon is the gospel restoration, right? And what Joseph Smith has translated is the restored gospel. Uh, and the reason why this is needing to be restored is that because plain and precious truths have been taken out of the Bible. And so then the question is, okay, the claim is that there was this great apostasy, that truth was lost, and that Joseph Smith has restored the gospel, has restored the truth. Okay, so what evidence do we have that supports this claim? What do we have that supports this? Is there any evidence showing that these plain and precious truths were taken out of scripture, that there has been a, a loss of the truth? And which is interesting, it's like, no, when the apostles died, this is what is frequently told to me by Mormon missionaries, is that when the apostles died, when Jesus and the apostles died, uh, the truth was lost. But then I show uh, the progression of the message of Christianity through church history. 
And as we look at early church fathers that have passed along the message, that we have the writings of these different church fathers, and we can actually compile the writings of the church fathers, and we can get a lot of the New Testament. We can get the core doctrines of the church in the writings of the early church fathers. And so we can look at these throughout the, the first, second, third, and so on, and century until the church is canonized or the, the, the Bible is canonized, the Council of Laodicea. And I go, okay, so at what point is it lost? Because we, we have the writings of each of these people throughout the centuries until the Bible is canonized and we have a print version of the Bible. So where are these things lost? See, when we just simply make a claim we need to be asking for evidence. Okay, so here's a claim. So here's the big thing. If the Bible is never corrupted, if plain and precious truths were never taken out of scripture, which there's good reason to believe that they weren't, then we don't need the restoration because we don't have the great apostasy. And so again, we, we kind of look at this idea and when we understand how things have been translated, it helps us to respond to some of these key big objections. When we can think through, the logic and critical thinking and reasoning that we make, seeing how people are making either errors or leaving things out. Again, we see this um, also a lot when it comes to different things like, my goodness, I, I'm getting a lot of comments too, is, uh, you know, this, the vaccine or COVID being the mark of the beast. Um, says who? That's not what I see in scripture. Uh, is that a vaccine is the mark of the beast. And so we want to always go back to scripture. Is this what is happening? Does this seem to suggest what Revelation is talking about is that uh, there's going to be this vaccine and somehow the vaccine is the mark of the beast. And so there's a lot of claims that people make. And I might get some comments on this video considering how many I've been getting recently. But the question is, is okay, we can kind of concoct this idea, but is that what scripture is teaching? We can say, well, based on this and this, but do those claims actually lead back to the conclusion? that this is what God has revealed to us. That is what is important to do is to come back to what scripture says. And again, sometimes kind of the last kind of thing on my mind here is I'm just kind of talking about this idea based on comments and things that have come in recently. Hopefully this is helpful to those who are watching. Thanks again for being here. Is um, I recently got a comment saying, you should not listen to other sinners. You just need to listen to God. Now, if you stop and think about this statement for a second, you realize this is a self-refuting claim because my question back is, so do you want me to listen to you? That I should not listen to sinners? That I should only listen to God, right? You're telling me something. Should I be listening to you? Or should I not? Because you're telling me, don't listen to me. So what do I do with that? The question then is, did God tell me that? Right? If, if we're going to say make the claim, you should not listen to me. You should only listen to God. The question is, okay, well, then did God say, don't listen to people? Did God say, don't listen to sinners, only listen to me? And I would say, no, there are many scriptures talking about listening to your parents and, and following the wise and going to the wise for instruction. And even though we are fallen people, we can get things right. And the Bible is full of examples of being led by wise people, of going to those who are, who are further along in life than us, people who have knowledge than us to be able to learn from them, to grow in wisdom and to grow and knowledge. God has said something very different than this person who says, don't listen to people, only listen to God. Well, God tells me to listen to people. God tells me to teach people. He set up the uh, the way in which the church is supposed to function with elders and, and, and pastors and, um, uh, well, you know what I'm talking about, just blanking on my words. But anyways, um, 
And so, and how people are supposed to, you know, be, be taught and grow and learn from one another. You know, he's talking to, <clears throat> you know, do not let people look down upon you, right? And Timothy, because you are young, right? And we are going around talking to people. And so we need to recognize this is a self-refuting claim. Again, this is illogical to say, don't listen to people, but you're telling me to listen to you. We need to listen to what God is saying. We need to go back to scripture and figure out what is God actually saying. Now, I had a thought and it just slipped my mind. So what happens when I kind of just have this idea and I'm just kind of running with this. I'm hopefully this is uh, helpful to you guys. This is uh, encouraging as we kind of think through this. Again, if you have objections that you want to uh, kind of have thought through, you can raise those up. But but we want to be people that, that think critically. Right? And this idea that we, we, we're claiming to have knowledge and it's so important to understand, well, how do we even define knowledge? If you say, I know X, what does it mean to know something? I think this is an important question that we have to come back to. And again, it's not just because I believe it. It's not just because I think it. Knowledge is a justified, true belief. Knowledge is a justified, true belief. You believe it. What you believe is true and you have reason to support it. And so then we can say, I know this. I know that this is how something functions because I have a good reason to support it and I believe it. Just because I believe something doesn't make that knowledge. Just because I claim something doesn't make that knowledge. And so for us as Christians to be able to come out and say, look, I know that God exists. We can say that. I believe it. It is true and I have reasons to show that it's true. I know that Jesus died and rose from the dead for our sins. I believe it. It's a true statement and I have reasons to support it's true. And if someone's going to come along and say, nope, those aren't true, then we need to think through that with them. Okay, what reasons do you have? What evidence do you have to support the fact that God does not exist? What reasons and evidence do you have to support the fact that Jesus did not die and rise from the dead? Let's think through this. Let's see if the reasons lead to conclusion. And I think that as we look at this, as we study this, as we ground ourselves in this, we recognize that Christianity really is true. And there are good reasons to support it. And so we can say, I know that Christianity is true. And so in this kind of shorter conversation that I'm having with you guys today, um, I my hope, my encouragement, my wish to you is to help you uh, see that, look, there are a lot of objections out there. There's more objections that we could have covered. There's more objections that we can talk through. And there are more injections that maybe will get invented and, and made up and brought up here at later times. And it's hard to be able to always be on top of every single possible objection and question that comes up. And sometimes we have to just say, look, I don't know. I don't know how to respond to this. I don't know how to respond to that. Uh, give me some time. Let me think through this. But one of the best ways to understand and to be able to respond to these objections is to know your Bible. It's to know theology to say, look, I, I want to ground myself deeper in Christian truth, in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. These things are worth studying. It is one of the, it is the greatest pursuit that we can have is to know God more fully and to know his word and what he has revealed to us. Um, and so uh, just that encouragement to know God to be able to easily then spot where people go wrong in their statements about what Christians believe or what the Bible says or who God is. Be able to say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either because I understand that there's a mistaken view in theology here. That's not my view of God. This is a different view of God. 
uh, to be able to uh, think logically about what is being said and say, hold on a second, that that doesn't follow, that doesn't flow. And to be able to say, what is the evidence that you have to support this conclusion? Um, I think these steps that we take can help us begin to ground ourselves in what is true, what is good, so that we can better engage in the conversations with the people around us. That we're not as shaken by objections that come against when someone's going, well, how, how about this? And it's like, no, that's, hold on, that's not what I believe. God is not evil. Hold on a second. Let's back up. I don't believe in that God either. And I think that this too can help us then. If we say, look, I don't believe in that God, then I think genuinely honest seeking individuals can then say, well, wait, you don't? Because if they honestly believe this is what Christians hold to, and you can say, look, that's not what Christianity teaches, then hopefully the response is, whoa, it isn't? That's what I've always understood. What does Christianity teach? Right? If the response is, yes, it does. That's what Christianity teaches. Then maybe you can see in that conversation, this isn't someone who's really open to understanding the truth. It's like, look, as a Christian, trust me, like this is not what Christianity teaches. Now, maybe some Christians hold to this, right? There's views that we can disagree on. Yeah, some Christians hold to this. That's not my view. So if you want to maybe attack that version of Christianity, go for it. (laughs) Your objection applies to them, but your objection doesn't apply to all of Christianity or your objection doesn't apply to me. So if you're having a conversation with me, let's talk about what I hold to. Again, maybe my view of Christianity is wrong. Maybe I hold to something different on eschatology or something like that. Maybe there's a different view that is accurate. Um, but in that conversation, um, I think that these principles can really help us better understand and better respond and be able to respond more confidently. And so, um, I hope this helps again. I just have gotten so many comments, uh, questions that have come in talking about, what do I say here? 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 And often the answer is, well, I would agree with them. (laughs) What they claimed is a problem and it's true, but do you honestly believe that? And sometimes that's my response to someone who's asking me, what do I say here? It's like, well, do you believe what they've said? No, I don't believe what they said. Well, then you say, that's not what I believe. That's not what I think. Rather than having to try to defend against their objection when their objection doesn't accurately address what you believe or what Christianity teaches or who God is. So um, hopefully this has been helpful. Uh, This has been a little bit fun spending this time together. Again, um, I just want to encourage you, if you're still watching, if you're still here, thank you for being here. Um, There's, you know, topics that I'm always trying to think of and topics I'm trying to figure out if you're interested in and topics that I am interested in that I'm doing and trying to reach out to people to do interviews about. But I would love to hear more from you. And so if you want to... uh, be able to contribute to the ideas and the topics that are coming up here on the show. Uh, you can always subscribe, uh, but then you can follow on social media. Um, you can <clears throat> follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, uh, where you can message me. Uh, Facebook, there's a link down there down below. If you want to use email, you can email me at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. That's the website uh, where you can send me an email uh, saying, hey, this topic or this book or this issue is something that I'd be interested in. And then we can have uh, a deeper conversation as I begin to look at those things. And so I just want to continue to try to produce content that is helpful to you. I want to produce content that is encouraging to you. I want to produce content that is relevant to what you are going through. Um, and so I don't want to just keep showing up week after week thinking, hey, this is something that I find interesting. I think this is something helpful. And week after week, you go, mm, yeah, that video, nope, not interested. 
that video, nope, not interested in that one either. Uh, I want to find stuff that you are very interested in and something that is helpful to you. So uh, with that, I just want to encourage you to follow, send me those messages, let me know either people, books, or topics that you want to hear more about. And, um, and I'd love to continue to produce and to talk through these issues with you, hopefully helping you develop and understand what Christianity believes, uh, develop it and understand a way to defend that belief, and then faithfully live it out as ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this culture that desperately needs him and needs to know him. So hopefully this is an encouragement to all of you as you do this. Uh, Slam, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for that message. Good to see you. And uh, again, kind of a weird time on a Saturday. Normally don't do this on Saturday, but I was gone on vacation. And so this is a little bit later than normal. But anyways, have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a blessed day. And guys, be encouraged and continue to think deeply about God and Christianity because they are worth thinking about. God bless everybody. Bye. Won't hesitate to follow your love will die.